John 12, beginning with the first verse, I'm going to talk to you today about extravagant worship. And next week, I'm going to talk to you about explosive praise. But uh, let's begin today talking about extravagant worship, beginning with verse 1 of John 12. And it reads like this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Verse 4 says, But one of the disciples, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So I want to talk to you today and, and next week about praise and worship. This is a, this is a, a genre of music now uh, that you can find a lot of good music under that, that genre of praise and worship. But growing up, you know, it wasn't a genre of music. It, you know, there was no such thing as praise and worship genre. Uh, growing up, we didn't have worship leaders. We didn't have a worship team. We didn't have a band. Growing up, we had a, a, a song leader. And really, we didn't even call him a song leader. We just say, who's going to lead the service? You know, ¿Quién va a dirigir el culto ahora? That was the question, you know, that we, we had to answer. I had to assign somebody to, to lead the service. And so a lot has changed in the way we... We do church because culture changes and because uh, people really absorb information differently than we did. Like I, I absorb uh, preaching information a little differently than I did when I was, you know, not certainly because I was younger, you know, a few years ago, but also just uh, the way that our, our minds are being wired to the, today by so many different things in the culture. And so we learn to adjust and, and, and some of these are big adjustments. Others aren't really that big, you know. That big of adjustments. Maybe we just tweak a few things here and there, but um, we we do know that some churches are uh, judged or evaluated by their music, by their praise and worship. Uh, people will go to a church and and they say, "No, oh, I don't like the music there. I don't like the style. I don't like it that they have." Uh, lights and you know smoke machine and other people say well I like it there I like it that they have lights and smoke machines you know everybody's got just different uh, different likes and, and dislikes and so a lot of times we judge a church based only on their music and I mean certainly that says something about the church but not everything because really it's a matter of how we as individuals approach God in worship it's not a matter of a band being up here putting on a concert and I appreciate good music. I do. I think we should give our best uh, to to God. Uh, Psalm thirty three three says that we sh we should play uh, excellently. We should excel when we play, when we perform 
not as a performance to people, but to God, because we're singing to an audience of one. We're playing for an audience of one. So I believe in excellence, but that's not that's not everything. Uh, I you know I, we have to understand that we each have a role to play when we worship God, whether we do it at home on our own or whether we do it when we gather together. All those things are important, but there's a lot of interest in worshiping. There's among you know the, the Christians out there. There's a lot of interest in worshiping. There's a lot of interest in praise and worship, as it were. Uh, there is a, a website uh, that I go to every once in a while, not too regularly. It's called SermonCentral.com. And, what, and this has been up for many years now. And uh, Sermon Central, they have ideas and helps for programming, service programming. And they have a lot of sermon outlines. And um, I actually probably about, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago, or more, I uploaded some sermons uh, to that website. And anybody can access them with, you know, creating an account. They can access them. They can download them. They can use them, I guess, uh, if they want. And I probably uploaded about six or seven sermons. And uh, of all the ones that I, I uploaded, and they're outlines, in some cases it's a manuscript. It's, you can upload whatever you, upload whatever you want. But the one that has gotten the most hits and the most radius, they can rate it uh, five stars, four stars, you know, one star, negative one. No, there's no negative stars. But the one that has gotten the most interest is a sermon on uh, praise and worship. This is like, like I said, 15, maybe even 20 years ago. It's been a, it's been a while. So there's a lot of interest in that. Um, you know, I think they have some pretty good other sermons up there, but nobody, you know, those don't, don't get as much attention. So maybe they're not as good as I think they are. And so uh, we're talking about extravagant worship today. And what we see in the story that we just read is that a dinner was given in honor of Jesus. And Jesus accepted this dinner. Uh, it, it was planned for him and he knew it was uh, for him. And so he accepted this. He didn't say, no, 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 don't bother. You know, I appreciate it. No, he accepted this dinner in his honor which means that he accepted the honor that was being bestowed on him. And that really, right off the bat, reminds us that, that Jesus accepts our praise. He doesn't have to, but when we praise him in spirit and in truth, he, he receives our praise. Now, we know that he doesn't have to, because remember, way back in the Old Testament, when uh, the, the first two brothers, Abel and Cain, brought an offering to God, and God accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's offering. He accepted Abel's worship, but he didn't accept Cain's worship. God's not obligated to accept our worship. It's not like we're doing him a favor. Um, but he is looking for uh, people that will worship him. In fact, Jesus said that the Father is looking for true worshipers. He's looking for worshipers that would worship him in spirit and in truth. So... Uh, there is something to be learned about how we worship God. When Jesus said he, he accepts or he's uh, looking rather for true worshipers that would worship him in spirit and in truth. That means he's, he's looking for worshipers who would connect to him on an emotional level. You know, our spirit connecting with God's spirit. When we worship, there should be a connection in spirit. It's a spiritual act. It's not just a physical act. Now, there are physical parts of our worship. There's raising our hands. You know, David talked about his lips rejoicing. Now, how do lips rejoice? My lips rejoice when I have a plate of Mexican food in front of me, but I don't think that's what David was talking about. 
He was talking about praising God. He's talking about his tongue rejoicing. And again, how do our lips and our tongues rejoice? Because there's a physical part of worshiping God. There's speaking, there's singing, there's shouting out, there's bowing down. That, there's a physical aspect, but there, it, it, there has to be a spiritual connection to God in our worship. Because we can do all the physical things and not ever connect spiritually, not ever connect emotionally. And so that's not what God is looking for. He's looking for true worshipers that will worship Him in spirit and also in truth. That is to say, in truth, that our worship must be rooted in the truth of God's Word. It must be rooted in the reality of what God's Word teaches. We're not you know, coming up with some cult activity here, but what we're doing is rooted in what the Bible teaches us about who God is and what God has done. So, uh, he, Jesus will accept our praise. He's not going to say, oh, no, 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 no. We might say that if somebody says, hey, I want to I want to treat you to dinner. I want to have a banquet in your honor. We say, well, why? No, no, no. We don't need to do that. But he accepted their their honor. In fact, we know that on the day of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he told his disciples that if the people would stop shouting praises unto him, that the rocks would cry out. And so he knew what was going on and he was accepting that praise. So the purpose of that dinner was to honor Jesus and I want to tell you, just as a reminder, that the purpose of our gatherings, of our assemblies, is to give God praise corporately. And so here's the here's first point that I want to leave with you. The purpose of our gatherings, our weekly gatherings, our regular gatherings, anytime we come together, is to focus our minds on Jesus and to honor Him. The purpose, of, the reason we're here today is so that we can all together focus on Jesus, focus our minds, focus our emotions, focus our energies on Jesus and to honor Him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The reason that we, like many churches, will, uh, you know, we work hard to have a, 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 a streaming or to stream the service, I should say, uh, is because we want Jesus' name to be lifted up. Because it's all about Jesus. It's about, uh, about His Word. It's about His presence. It's about the Lordship of Jesus in our lives or over our lives. We gather to praise Him. We gather to study His Word. We gather to surrender our lives to Him. This is what should happen, happen every time we come together. But that's the purpose, to focus on Jesus and to honor Him. So worship then is more than the songs we sing when we come together. Uh, it certainly includes that. And I think there's, uh, there's just uh, something that unites us when we sing together and, and we use the words of the songwriter, whoever he or she might be, words that I believe are inspired by God, not the way the scripture is inspired, but I believe they're nevertheless inspired by God. Because they, they touch our hearts, they challenge us, they lead us, they direct us to God. And so what a song does, what the, the lyrics of a song do, is that they unite our minds in one thought. We're not all thinking different things if we're, if we're singing the same thing. Hopefully we're not. So singing is part of our worship, but worship is about giving God our best. Whether we do it in our daily lives 
or whether we do it in a worship service, worship is giving God our best and responds to God's grace. It responds to God's forgiveness, to God's power, and in response to rec recognizing who God is. Worship is simply giving God our best because we were made to worship God. We weren't designed to live for ourselves. I mean, Satan would like for us to think that, but we all have a space in our heart that only God can fill. And until we fill that space with God, and until we live for Him and worship Him, then we won't be fulfilled. We'll only experience despair. We'll experience frustration. So we were made to worship God. And worship is for God's glory. But worship is also for our benefit because worship help, helps us to find our fulfillment in Christ. How many times have you left a gathering where there was a time of worship and a study of God's Word and you, you were fulfilled, you were strengthened, you felt, you felt uh, that you were renewed in Christ? So it's for God's glory, but it's for our benefit. Now, back to our story. This dinner was made in honor of Jesus. Lazarus was there. In the previous chapter, this is John 12, but in chapter 11 of John, we read the story of, of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And now they have this, uh, this um, supper in honor of Jesus. And, I, and you can only imagine what the conversation was about. At least one of the topics was about. Uh, but Lazarus, people probably asking Lazarus, oh, I mean, did you see a bright light or did you see a tunnel? What was it like? You know, there was, I'm sure there had to have been asking him questions about that. And certainly uh, in honor of Jesus, also listening to Jesus talk. And so this was held in, in the, the house of, of Simon. And there's a, even though John is not one of the synoptic gospels, uh, nevertheless, there are, this is a parallel passage to the story in Matthew and Mark. We find this same story in Matthew and Mark. And so we know that he was in the, they were in the house of Simon. And Martha, remember Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus? Martha was there. and She had been enlisted to, to serve, which we saw that, remember, uh, earlier in the story when, uh, in the Gospels when Jesus had gone to their house and Martha was busy serving and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. So we know that Martha had a heart to serve, so she was serving there too. It wasn't their house. It's not believed to have been their house. Uh, but she was there. And the guests are described as reclining at the table. Now, how many of you learned when you were small, growing up, and you're learning manners at the table, your parents taught you, don't put your elbows on the table. Well, the, the men at this dinner probably did have their elbows on the table. They may have had them on the table. They would recline either on, on their, uh, in the place where they were sitting uh, or they could have been reclining uh, on the table. Uh, they were seated at a low table. It was in kind of a U-shape. In fact, it's called a triclinium. Triclinium is a U-shaped table. It was low, uh, low to the ground. And so they would recline toward the table with their feet away from the table. In fact, I have a picture here of a, a, this kind of a recreation, uh, a modern-day recreation of what triclinium would look like. And so you can, you can kind of see how they're, they're re, uh, reclining. I, I looked at some other drawings, which they were leaning on the table, so who knows. But nevertheless, they're reclining with their feet away from the table. That table is called the triclinium, uh, a, a three equal, not equal parts, but three parts. So it was the arrangement of guests around this triclinium 
that made what happened next possible. Mary came in and she took and she had a pint of pure nard, uh, which was a very expensive perfume, and she took it and she poured it on Jesus's feet and then she wiped her feet, uh, his feet rather, with her hair. Now the guests were being served from the inside of the triclinium of the table. So then Mary came around the outside and therefore she could do that, perform that act. She could pour uh, this very expensive perfume, spikenard or nard, uh, which is a, an oil from the nard plant that, that grows in India. She was able to pour that on the feet of Jesus. Now Matthew and Mark tell us that she poured it on the head of Jesus. So it's very possible, again, because of the way they were reclining, that she poured it on his head and it went to his feet. It's very possible. So, uh, you know, there, there, there is another um, scenario or another time where a, a sinful woman, and we read this in the book of, of Luke, came and uh, did the same thing to, to Jesus, but that's thought to be a, a separate incident. But, you know, that, that's thought to be a, another sinful woman, not Mary, uh, the sister of, of Lazarus. Uh, but this one here and the one in Matthew and Mark are thought to be the same event. And so the oil went to his feet. And like I started to say, nard, uh, the spike nard is oil of the nard plant that came from India. It was very expensive because it was exported or imported. And uh, it came from the spike of the plant. That's what was called the spike nard. And, uh, and also because it, it, it was imported, but also because... It, was, it took a lot of work to extract oil from this plant. And so she poured out roughly what would have been about a pint or maybe a little bit more. Uh, in any case, it was an expensive act of worship for her. About a year's wages was this oil or this perfume. And, and so that takes me to my next point that I want to leave with you. And that's this, that extravagant worship. What she did was very extravagant. Extravagant worship will always cost us something. Extravagant means to go above the normal. In fact, the word extravagant has a connotation of being, uh, of being wasteful, like lacking restraint. And certainly, you know, she kind of lacked some restraint. She could have poured a little bit of oil on there, on his feet. Uh, but she poured everything out of that alabaster jar. That's kind of wasteful. That's kind of lacking restraint. And uh, I was thinking about that as Benji was telling the story about Seth. And, and I remember the time that he said he was going to give all his savings to speed the light. Well, that's kind of extravagant, right? That's kind of, we would say, yeah, you know, that's kind of wasteful. You're not showing, you know, show some restraint, man. But no, Seth is a perfect example, was extravagant in that way. And Mary was extravagant in using her, really this would have been her retirement savings or her life savings. And she used it all on Jesus' feet. So she exhibited this unrestrained love, unrestrained devotion to Jesus. It went against personal cost. It went against uh, her concern for how it was perceived. It cost her a lot. It cost her a lot. But she gave it all 
in extravagant worship to Jesus. So we know that it cost her financially, but it also cost her in the way that other people saw her. It cost her in her reputation. And they're telling of the story, Matthew and Mark say, uh, right, that the disciples began uh, to murmur against her. And, and John tells us specifically that it was Judas. He's, he called her action wasteful. And, and he said, this could have been used to feed the poor. Now, he was right in that. Because in those days, there were a lot of poor people. I mean, all I had to do was leave that building, that house where they were, and go you know, down the, the path, and they would see people on the, on the ground begging. They would see beggars. And uh, so he's right. That money would have fed a lot of poor people. So he said, this is wasteful. But, of course, we know that it wasn't that he was concerned for the poor. It was that he was greedy. Though other people might have seen what she did and just said, no, man, she's just over the top. She's just getting carried away. I had somebody tell me uh, many years ago, not talking about me, but talking about uh, his wife. He said, you know, I, I think you can just, you can serve God without, you know, like going over the top. He, you know, he didn't mention her name, but I knew who he was talking about. And so sometimes people see uh, others who worship God and give their all to God in the same way. And Mary might have been judged that way. I believe it's very possible that others might have seen it as just over extravagant, over the top, exaggerated. Mary could have just used a little bit of oil. It would have been fine. But she worshiped Jesus extravagantly because extravagant worship will cost us something. I think about the story of David in the Old Testament. Okay, if you want to Follow with me. This is in 2 Samuel 24. 2 Samuel 24, we, we read the story of how on one occasion he uh, was looking for a place to build an altar to the Lord. And, and the reason he was wanting to build an altar is because he, he had made a terrible mistake. David made a terrible mistake that caused uh, 70,000 of his people. He was a king. 70,000 of his people to die. He, he, the mistake was that he took a census of all the fighting men of Israel. And the mistake was that he didn't do it in the way that God had told him. Uh, we read this in the instructions of the law. We read this back in Deuteronomy, the way that they were supposed to take a census. First of all, God hadn't told them to take that census. That was a census that was rooted in pride. You know, he, he was proud. He wanted to count his fighting men. And then when he took the census, he didn't do it following the instructions that were laid out, uh, that God had laid out. So because of this, and God judged him, and God judged him by sending a plague that killed 70,000 Israelites, 70,000 people. But David, David repented. And because he repented, David's, uh, because David repented, God allowed him to build an altar. He said, if you'll build an altar and offer a sacrifice, I'll stop the plague before any more people die. So he was looking to, for a place to build an altar. He came to the home of, an, of a man named Arana. And when he saw, uh, when Arana saw the king approaching, uh, I mean, that immediately got his attention. You can only imagine, here comes the king. And he, uh, he asked him, why have you come, my lord? Why have you come, O king? And David answered, he said, I've come because I want to buy your threshing floor 
And I want to build an altar there to the Lord so that God will stop this plague on our people. Well, you can imagine this man said, oh, it'd be my honor. He says immediately, the Bible says that immediately he told David, just take it. You don't have to buy it from me. Just take it. Use it as you wish. In fact, take my oxen and, and, and you can sacrifice my oxen. Take my ox yokes and you can use that for the, for the wood as wood to build a fire. fire. And he says, I will give it to you. Those were his words. I will give all this to you. But look at what Samuel 24, 24 says. But the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his, answered his prayer in behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. And it was on that same location, on that same place where he built this altar that later the temple was built by Solomon. But David knew that true worship and extravagant worship. And David was an extravagant worshiper. He was an extravagant worshiper. We know this because of the story of when the, the Ark of the Covenant was, was brought back to Israel, how he rejoiced. And, and according to his wife, Michael, he made a fool of himself, she said. He made a fool of himself the way that he danced about and he rejoiced and he worshiped God. Again, kind of over the top. But he, so he knew that extravagant worship may cost us something. Now, what will it cost us today? Well, it may cost us effort. It may cost us focus. You know, God has given us the ability to focus, right? He's given us the ability to focus on our jobs, to concentrate. He's given us the ability to put forth effort. And we use this in other areas. But when it comes to worshiping God, we don't, we don't use the same effort in worshiping God that we might use somewhere else. We don't have the same focus in worshiping God as we might have in, in doing our jobs or in a hobby that we really like. So maybe, maybe it'll cost you focus. Sometimes I, I see, I look around, and I'm not talking about this morning at all, but just in my years of ministry, I see uh, people who will go through entire service and you can just tell they're not into it. They're not focused. They're not putting any effort into connecting with God. They don't want to pay that price. Maybe for you to connect with God, maybe for you to be a true worshiper who worships in spirit and truth, you need to put forth that effort to connect with God. You need to focus. Connect with Him. Don't let your mind wander. Uh, sometimes I think there's just not enough of that. Karis, my six-year-old granddaughter, loves to sing. Um, she'll ask me whenever I pick her up from school or from somewhere, we're driving around, and she'll ask to use my phone, and she knows how to look up the songs, and she wants to sing a worship song. Occasionally, she wants to sing um, something by Elvis. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. But most of the time, most of the time, it's a worship song. And um, so 
she knows how to find it and, and how to find the, the lyrics so it scrolls like the karaoke. And so she's singing along and she was singing uh, Waymaker. And uh, I'm driving and I'm looking at her through the river mirror, just glancing up. And, and I noticed that when she got to the chorus, she put the phone down and she's singing by memory. And I said, Karis, in the middle of the song, I said, Karis, you've got this song memorized? And she's singing and she does that. And she's still singing. Then she interrupts herself and she says, you know how I memorize? Because I focus. Where did that come from? She says, I focus. I said, oh, good. I'm glad you're focusing. Uh, you know, folks, we know how to focus. If a child can focus, we know how to focus. Let's, let's pay the cost. Let's pay the price of effort. And the devil's going to throw thoughts in our minds, our problems at home, and things that we're concerned about. But let's, let's put that aside and focus on Jesus. Now, it may also cost us our reputation. It, it definitely cost Mary her reputation, the way they talked about her. Now, Jesus came to defend her. He was their defender. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it, for us, it may cost us a reputation. But, you know, we need to stop thinking or stop worrying about what other people think when we abandon ourselves to worship God. When we abandon ourselves like Mary did, and we don't, we're not going to do it in the way Mary did by... You know, by pouring this perfume on Jesus. But nevertheless, we can abandon ourselves as we sing, as we pray, as we weep before God. But, you know, it's interesting that, and I've seen this, that people who abandon themselves to serving God extravagantly, extravagantly or to worshiping God extravagantly, oftentimes are the targets of criticism. I mean, it might be veiled as constructive criticism, but the bottom line is that their reputation is affected. So it may cost you in terms of, of effort, of focus. It may cost you in terms of reputation. It may cost us money. In the Old Testament, God told the Israelites, speaking of an offering, He says, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. So it may cost us in terms of money in what we bring our tithe, when we bring our worship, our uh, offering, that's worship to God. So my question is, are you paying the price of worship? Whatever it is for you, are you paying the price? Or you, or are you just kind of coming in and, and, you know, God wants to touch me, he'll touch me, without making an effort to connect with God. Anybody can do this. Children, teenagers, adults, we can all put forth the effort without worrying about uh, what others think of us, of connecting with God. And my final point today is this, that extravagant worship is a beautiful thing. Extravagant worship is a beautiful thing. Mary's act of love and of worship was public. It was spontaneous, spontaneous to a certain extent, I believe. It was certainly sacrificial. It was lavish. It was, it was very personal. Very personal. And uh, it was very unembarrassing for her. She just wanted to love Jesus, to show, to display uh, her love for Jesus. So, consequently, when Jesus heard the criticism of, of Judas and the rest of the disciples, John tells us that Jesus defended her. And we read this in verse 8 of our passage that 
uh, or verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And, and again, Jesus was agreeing with, with Judas that there were a lot of poor there that could have been served with this. But he says, you're not going to lose any opportunities. You're going to have plenty of opportunities to uh, help the poor, to give to the poor. But this act of worship, this opportunity for worship is right now. You'll always have the poor to help, but this act of worship is right now. And whether Mary understood what she was doing in terms of uh, preparing the body of Jesus for his day of burial, we don't know. But we do know that she did it with a certain depth that allowed her to really be a part of God's plan in that area. I, I, I do also like what the parallel passage of this story says in Matthew 26, 10, that when Jesus was aware of the criticism of the disciples and specifically of Judas, Matthew 26, 10, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Because extravagant worship is beautiful. True worship in spirit and in truth is beautiful. And Jesus said, it's a beautiful thing. Sacrificial, lavish, personal worship is beautiful to God. It's beautiful to Jesus. Now, by contrast, here while Mary was doing a beautiful thing that Jesus was receiving, by contrast, Judas was angry because he saw Mary's worship as wasteful. He feigned concern for the poor, and we know he wasn't concerned at all, because Judas was a thief. Judas was a hypocrite. Judas, think about this, he was in the presence of Jesus, but he was a pretender. You can be in the presence of Jesus and be a pretender. You can pretend to be a disciple. You can pretend to be a Christian if you're going through the motions, but you're not offering extravagant worship to God. Someone once said, and I forget who this was. Uh, I have an idea, but I don't want to quote him because I could be wrong. But somebody once said that we name our daughters after Mary and our dogs after Judas. And maybe our dogs are too good for that name. Maybe you don't want to name your dog Judas. But Mary is a beautiful name because Jesus said in, in the reading in Matthew that Jesus said, what she has done will be told to everyone. This is, this is a story for us. What she has done will be told. And Jesus didn't say this. He didn't say, and you will name your daughters after her, but we do. We do. Mary, beautiful name. Who will you be today? Mary or Judas? I didn't really talk about Judas. I just talked about Mary, but we don't have to talk about Judas too much. We know that he's the opposite of Mary. Everything that Mary was, Judas was, and everything that Mary did, Judas did not do. So, so can you worship God extravagantly? Can you make your life an altar of worship to God? Will you begin even today to offer God your most personal and extravagant worship? Will you abandon yourself to worshiping God?
Can you imagine what your life would look like if you give yourself to becoming a true worshiper of God? Whatever it costs you, unconcerned of how people might view you, can you imagine what your life would become? Can you imagine what our church would look like if we were all extravagant worshipers? I, I think one thing that would change, would there would be uh, more people here in the sense that people who have maybe gotten accustomed to just watching online would begin to recognize, yeah, I can worship God extravagantly here, but boy, when you do it together, as the Bible commands us to do it together, to assemble together, then that's even more powerful. What would our church look like, though? We were extravagant worshipers, not just when we gather, but throughout the day, throughout the week. And when we come together, we bring that extravagant worship. What would our community look like? What would our services look like if we were all extravagant worshipers? I want to challenge you to envision it today. Envision it. And then do it. Step into a lifestyle of an, the lifestyle of an extravagant worshiper. Let's, uh, let's finish with a prayer and a time of worship today. If you bow with me. Father, we are thankful today for your word and the challenge of your word. Lord, I confess that I'm not sure I understand everything about worshiping you. I'm still learning. I'm not sure I can say what I know I can't say. Oh, yes, I, I get it all. I understand it. There's so much to learn about how we worship you and how our surrender or what our surrender to you looks like and how it's expressed in our worship. But I do know one thing, that you are looking for true worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. You're looking for people like Mary who gave her extravagant worship. I want to learn to be that true worshiper. I want to learn to worship you in spirit and in truth. I need your help, Father. I need your help. Help us today to be true worshipers. Help us to begin today, Father. We ask it all in Jesus' name.